0: Y'all are in for a treat this morning, you realize that? I have five perfect men up here this morning. Where? I was waiting on the wives to stand and say preach, but you didn't. But anyway, many of you know as a church, we have been walking through the book of Proverbs this summer together. And Sid had an amazing idea for Father's Day to mix things up and allow some men in our church to share a proverb that was impactful to them, significant to them, um, and share why it was. Um, so we thought of, or Sid thought of, 10 men in the life of our church um, who we Wanted to hear them share uh, just a proverb that was significant to them. So the first service you're getting to hear from Colt McDowell, Michael Brooks, Ron Hawkins, Jay Cook, and Alex Hankey this morning. And if you want to get double the blessing, there's going to be five other men that will speak in the second service. So some of you can just stay where you are and make it a three-hour service today, okay? But anyway, to lead things off Uh, This morning, I'm going to ask Colt to start us out.
1: Hey, church family. Before I get started um, on the proverb that I chose, I think, number one, I want to just say happy Father's Day to all our amazing fathers that that choose to to bring Jesus into their life, and that does make us perfect. Um, That's why we're perfect, because Jesus is perfect. Second, she might not be the most perfect person to you or the most perfect woman in the world. But she is to me, and it's her birthday today, so happy birthday to Jessica. Love you. Wouldn't be here without you for sure.
0: You got five minutes, Colt. Yes, sir. Five <laughs> minutes.
1: <laughs> I go to Heritage and Sid has told us before you got numbskin. No, um reading this morning's Proverb two for 18. And uh, chapter 18, Proverbs 18, it said, there are friends who destroy each other, friends who destroy each other, but are but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Um, That's the other thing that the third thing I'm very, very grateful for today is our church. We do have some real brothers and uh, we're here for each other through ups and downs and through mistakes, blessings, wins, losses. And I'm really grateful for the brothers of our church. Um, Proverbs three, five and six says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. Trust is, is hard for me. Um, and it's hard for me to, to give my whole heart to anything. Um, but when we do trust in lo- the Lord and, and we don't rely on our, our own understanding, I, I like to think a lot. I like to overthink things. Um, and I like to try to future trip too much. And what God's telling telling me in that verse is not to do that. To, to trust in his understanding. Um, it continues to read on. in in verse six, um, seek his will in all you do, and it will make your path straight. The other translation says it'll, it'll show you which path to choose. Um, seeking his will. I, you know, I have a really close friend that shares with me all the time. Resentment is not getting what you wanted in the past. Anger is not getting what you want right now. And fear is not getting what you want in the future. Um, but what really matters is his will. It doesn't matter what I want. And when I'm able to find that balance and I'm able to find that sweet spot of doing what Jesus and God wants me to do, so much purpose, so much joy, so much um, contentment comes in doing that. And so, you know, it's, it's probably one of the most cliche verses of Proverbs, um, but there's a lot to unpack and try to live out. And so I pray this literally every day. So it was easy when I was asked to speak on a proverb was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 because sometimes I do it really well. Sometimes I don't. But if I could just follow these two proverbs, uh, my life would go really, really well all the time. And when I do, it does. And when I don't, I ask for grace and mercy to repent and find the strength to do it. So that's why I chose that verse. It
0: was only fitting for... Michael to go next because he had Proverbs 3, 7 through 8.
2: That's right. So I'm, I'm following right behind Colt here. And, um, you know, this is a pretty cool verse, too. So be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be a healing to your flesh and a refreshment to your bones. Now, that's the ESV. Let's look at the NLT, too. Don't be impressed by your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Now, what we see here, too, is a a repetition of the verse that Colt has read. So, don't we need repetition? Absolutely. So, uh, the verse that Colt uh, gave us was one that we typically l- use when we send seniors off we do that a lot of times that we're sending you off into the world and here's a great verse to live by <clears throat> so in this repetition you've got three commandments in these two verses of 7 and 8 three commandments and a promise so <clears throat> The first part of that, the first command is that don't be wise. Don't think you're wise. Don't be impressed with your wisdom. So what I hear in that is be humble. The second command is fear the Lord. You know, I did a search and I found that there are over 300 verses that talk about fear in the Bible. There are over 100 verses that talk about fear the Lord. So I think he's probably trying to make a point there. So there's two types of fears in the Bible. There's, there's a dread fear and there's a fear revere. So <clears throat> one of those is a, de- is a destructive kind of fear that, that uh, can affect us in a negative way, and we kind of run from those kind of fears. The, the fear we're talking about here in fearing the Lord is a fear of a, a wholesome fear, a fear of reverence, of respect, of awe. It's a run-to fear. Think about the fear of not having God's arms wrapped around you and being outside of that. Now that would be kind of terrifying, I think. So he's my refuge and my rock, and I see that there. Also notice that the word Lord is capitalized. The Hebrew scribes actually uh, revered the Lord's name so much that they replaced it with Adonai which is Hebrew for for Lord and so they they didn't want to say Yahweh here They just put Lord in so Yahweh is is really the word that's behind that And then the third command is turn away from evil Now that looks like a call to repentance to me So turn away from evil to the one who is our refuge and finally the promise then you have healing for your body and strength for your bones. So, you know, I, I see that my health comes from the Lord. So practically in this verse, I can see that by doing the commands, I can be healthier in a way because I can relieve a lot of stress and anxiety in my life. So that's helpful. But I think it's deeper than that. I think it, it's not for just the here and now. This is a promise that goes eternally. And the last thing I would say is, can you see the gospel in these verses? Thank you.
0: I'm going to be unpredictable, and I'm going to have Alex go, Ron. That's not fair. I'll save the youngest for last.
3: Perfect. Sorry, people running the slides. Um, so, I, uh, this is a preview for tomorrow for those of you that are following along uh, with Proverbs. Is this is Proverbs 19, 2, and 3. I had a bunch of them that I had looked at, uh, and I nailed down on this one because um, I would have talked too long. Desire, huh? do you not want to go? Huh? <laughs> Got it. Um, Desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart will rage against the Lord. This is one of those proverbs that, like, I'd love half of it. Um, (laughs) Which is why I picked it. Um, The beginning of this is that idea that we shouldn't rush into things. We're far too commonly... We'll get an idea, we'll be super excited about it, emotional about it, passionate about it, whatever word you want to insert there. And we will make a terrible decision or a hasty decision and we'll run away and do something. And it's just like the verses that cautions us against building a house on the sand or not setting a firm foundation. Um, If you look at the book of Nehemiah, he spent a ton of time being prepared and ready so that when God said go, he was ready. God had given him a vision, but he hadn't said go. Um, And so far too often we end up rushing into things uh, when the Bible tells us over and over and over that our hearts and our emotions can deceive us. Rushing into anything personal, professional, or anything in between has a bad habit of ending up with us in trouble in some way. Uh, I love verse two uh, because it makes sense to me. It's very logical. Anybody that knows me knows that logic and order and planning that's my, that's my jam. Like, I love that stuff. And uh, research is good. Planning and preparation, vital. Uh, that stuff makes sense in my head, but then I get to verse 3, and I like it less. Um, because it's convicting. And it very clearly illustrates for us that sometimes the bad things that happen in our life are our fault. Sometimes it's genuinely a test from God. Sometimes it's something that's outside of our control, and it happens to us, and we don't get to decide. But we decide what we do after, and we have to make wise decisions that are based in what God has for us and not what we think or what we feel, because the Bible tells us over and over that's going to be deceitful. Far too often I am the real root of my own issues because I am impulsive or stupid. Or I make a bad choice based on my emotions or selfish desires. See, it's easier if we can attribute our misfortune to a test of God than ourselves. All of us want to be Moses leading the Israelites through the Red Sea, but none of us want to be Moses smacking a stick against a rock because a bunch of stiff-necked people wanted a drink and he wasn't willing to wait for God. All of us want to be Peter on the day of Pentecost fearlessly preaching before thousands of people. None of us want to be Peter who denied Christ three times. The Bible is just filled with stories that show both sides of how people respond in these situations, and I think it's why we see so often in Proverbs these cautions against wisdom and hastiness and emotionalism because we are shown stories throughout. That's one of the best things about the Bible is we see failures and successes in the same people. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think God's ever surprised when I screw up. Like, First off, probably nobody is, (laughs) because if I'm being honest, um, it's just one of those things that it's a lot easier for us to see ourselves as the heroes. And uh, we have a tendency to try and set ourselves up to be, but the Bible cautions us. It says, lean into Him. Lean into his wisdom and his knowledge. Like, that's what Proverbs is. It's a book of wisdom. I'm glad I'm not last because I was afraid that I would be like, everyone who said all the cool wisdom things, and I'd be like, I agree. (laughs) Um, So I get to say a few things, maybe. Um, Ultimately, I want my kids to see that it's God that sustains us, that it's God that's getting us through. It's not some great idea their dad had. Um, There's nothing wrong with them seeing me in a positive light. I'm not. You know masochistic or anything i just i want my kids to understand that the source of good things is him and so is the source of the valley and that we can find him in both i probably don't always get it right but that's what i want to do so be wise be prayed up spend time in the word that way you know that when you're making a decision it's not alex's decision or susan's decision or mike's decision or anybody else's it's god's and that we're following Close enough after him, the the Bible gives this picture of Jesus and the disciples following so close behind him that the dust that his feet would stir up on the roads would settle on their robes. I want to be following so closely after Jesus that I have the dust of his feet on me. That's what I want. And I want my kids to see me live like that, and I don't most days, but I want to. Um, I want to leave you guys with a quote from a monk. Uh, named Thomas Merton. It's from a book called Thoughts in Solitude, which is a very positive and happy title. Um, But it has this idea that I wanna share, and then there's one little illustration, and then I'll be quiet. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so but I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in me in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may may know nothing about it. Therefore will I trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear for you are ever with me and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. It's Father's Day. I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, And me and Melvin were talking before service, and he had this really cool illustration, so I'm stealing it. Um, Who on Mother's Day or Father's Day has ever had their kids, like, make a drawing for them that was not Van Gogh or cook something for them that was somewhat less than Gordon Ramsay standards? We've all been there. Have you ever been mad at your kids because the food didn't taste great? because they mixed up the salt and the sugar, or because the drawing didn't actually look like a horse, it looked like a giraffe. <laughs> no, because their desire to do something for us makes us happy. Their desire to try and follow closely after us and do something for us because they appreciate, appreciate us brings us joy. And I think that's what this quote is talking about, that our desire to please God alone sometimes pleases him. He wants us to seek after him, and he honors that effort.
0: I'm assuming you got a drawing this morning. (laughs) I got a
4: lot. You got a lot. Ron, you want to go next? Sure. Um, Before I actually end this, the first thing I want to do is say thank you. Thank you, Heritage Family. Thank you for allowing me to be in a place that shows Jesus. Thank you for a church that is led by someone who shows Jesus. And thank you for you fathers out there. I am a blessed one that has godly children and godly grandchildren. And if you were in a place like this, it's because of places like this that you have that. So thank you, Heritage Family. When I started reading the Bible diligently and regularly about three years ago, uh, it was suggested that I get some sort of little encouragement along the way because the, the Bible was really a strange book to me. So I acquired a uh, book written by David Pawson. It's called Unlocking the Bible. And I went through the Bible from Old Testament through New Testament using this along the way. As we started this study on Proverbs, I decided to go back to that and look what he said. In essence, he writes the following The book describes life as it really is. Not life in the church, but life in the streets, life in your office, life in a shop, life in your home. There's a lot of hate in the world today. I, th- I know we would all agree with that. So when I came to Proverbs six, and it said the subject was about what God hates, it really did pique my interest. Proverbs six sixteen through nineteen reads that these six things the Lord hates. Actually, yes. Seven are an abomination to him. They are a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. So it would bring about the question for me, and perhaps it does for you. If it's okay for God to hate, is it okay for me to hate? Here in Proverbs, it is stated that God does hate. It is stated further that God's hate is directed towards specific things or actions by his children. False pride, lies, shedding of innocent blood relates to wars, murder, abortion, a wicked heart, anyone who is quick to choose evil over good, a false witness who speaks lies, and anyone who stirs up trouble and turmoil among family or the brothers. So it would stand to reason that if Christians accept that these things are contrary to the nature and the character of God and God hates them, then it is not only okay, but we should have the same attitude towards these abominations as well. However, it is also noted that hatred outside of these listed in these verses is a poison that destroys us from within. Hatred outside of these confines is a heart sin, and a hateful thought or an act is an act of murder in God's eyes. So let us be careful to do as our Lord has advised in Proverbs and throughout his Word. Love your brothers as yourselves. Keep short your accounts with everyone about everything, and the Lord will be grateful and faithful to forgive you as he has promised. Hate is an overused word. I hate broccoli. I hate some person who did something to me. Don't you just hate it when that happens? Sometimes we use the word and we don't even really think about it rolling off of our tongue. God is very specific about what hate is to him and should be the same hate that indwells our heart and is replaced by the love of Jesus. Again, I thank you I thank all the fathers that are in this room. And uh, we have an awesome responsibility in this world today. The next generation is counting on you and counting on us that not only have raised our children, but continue to show a road towards the next generation of what love is and not what hate is. Thank you.
0: Last but not least, Jay, you have two minutes.
5: (laughs) So when Sid texted me about this, I asked him what he wanted me to say, and he told me, say whatever the Spirit tells you to say. So I had a long intro written, and then I asked Hux to help the Spirit talk to me, and he said, cut the intro and just get to it. (laughs) I couldn't make it rhyme, but here's the bottom line. Watch each step, because a second step sets your direction. I counted 53 times in the first seven chapters of Proverbs that path language is used. Path, way, follow, go, walk, stumble. I'm not gonna read all 53 occurrences because Hux said I only have five minutes. (laughs) But I did wanna read an excerpt from the end of chapter four and in chapter five. Listen to this language. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Skipping a few verses. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, and she does not know it. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. What Solomon knows is that we live in time. We have a sovereign king who knows all and sees all and exists outside time, but he has placed us inside time. And to his image bearers, he's given the opportunity to make one choice at a time, to take one step at a time. In Deuteronomy, the Lord invites his people to walk with him and to love him. Jesus calls us to follow him, to love him and one another. Walking and following, that's path language. It's a journey. The journey eventually ends, but if he gave you breath today, this morning, that means you're not done with your journey and you have choices to make, and you have steps to take. As a man, a husband, and a father, here's my plea to every man sitting in here, to every son, and it goes for every woman too. What direction are you headed in? What path are you on? What steps have you taken yesterday, today? Watch each step, because a second step sets your direction. My dad once told me many years ago, every morning we have the choice to speak and act a little more like Jesus than the day before. Obviously, that stuck with me over the years, but the wisdom in that simple statement is profound. As we live in time, very rarely does anything happen at once. As followers of Christ, we can't follow Jesus our entire life all at once. We can only follow one day at a time, one step at a time, one choice at a time. And similarly, we often do not sin all at once. We often take one step after another, excuse me, one step after another, small steps, until we find ourselves somewhere we can't understand how we got there. There's that saying, sin will take you farther than you ever expected to go, it will keep you longer than you ever intended to say, and it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. Here's the first side of it. And I'm preaching to myself in this, and I'm pleading to each of you because it applies to all of us. Don't go to the door of her house, it takes a path to get there. In using Proverbs 7, listen to this language I have to decide to go out in the darkness, I have to decide to go to the corner of her street, I have to decide to take the road to her house, I have to decide to go in the house. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 reminds us that God is faithful and he provides escapes from temptation. In my life, these escapes are often on the path. They're usually not once I've decided to get into the house. Obviously, the language in Proverbs 5 to 7 literally applies to sexual immorality. This is every man's battle and it's a lifelong battle. Sermon for another day, but let me say this from experience. Please confess to others and get allies in the war because it is a tough, brutal battle to fight alone. More broadly, all sin boils down to idolatry. You are worshiping something else besides the Lord, yourself, an act, a feeling, whatever it may be. So these words of Solomon, to watch your path, to fix your eyes, to turn your foot from sin, don't walk in front of her house, all these words apply regardless of the lure that Satan throws your way. Are any of these your shiny fishing lure? Gossip, slander, greed, grudges, coveting, success, power, control, attention, approval? The list goes on, but they all take steps to get there. So I ask you, where are your steps taking you? Are you holding fire close to your chest? Are you taking the road to her house? In the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Her feet go to death. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Here's the other path. The Lord Jesus invites, follow me. He doesn't say to go home and shower and meet him somewhere. He doesn't say to wait for the appointed time. When he invited the disciples, he simply said, follow me, come with me. They changed their minds on what they were doing. They simply stopped fishing, stopped tax collecting, and they followed him. This is a visible description of repentance. The Greek word used in the New Testament for repent is metanoia, which literally means to change your mind, to correct your course, or to step in a new direction. Jesus invites us to repent, change your mind, correct your course, step in a new direction and follow him. He's already paid the toll for the road and the invitation is change directions and follow him. That is the gospel. Once you do, hear Solomon's words. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. And for the times when you do, because we all do, listen to what he says next. Turn your foot away from evil. Repent. Put your feet back on the path of life. Following Jesus. Martin Luther said the life of a Christian is one of daily repentance, daily because we sin every day. He believes strongly not only in repentance, but also in confession to fellow believers. Sin hurts, confession is hard, but confession opens the door for healing and restoration, and the glory of the gospel is in the Lord's redemption of sinners." It is not the saint being awesome that proclaims God's greatness to the world. It is the sinner being forgiven that demonstrates his steadfast love and mercy towards his people. Turn your foot away from evil, ponder the path of your feet and let your eyes look forward. I'm pretty sure if Jesus had already come, Solomon would have added, "And your gaze beyond the cross." I just want to mention this. Here's my confession. I really do not enjoy confessing my sins to others. I'm terrible at it, and in my own prideful heart, and my desire to be approved by others, I hate it. The hardest person for me to confess to is my wife. Because there's no human on the planet I want to like me more than her. When I confess, I often feel ashamed, humiliated, and worthless. I feel like a failure, an outcast, and an embarrassment. But these are the whispers from the enemy who only wants to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus meets me with grace, and he says, you're valuable. You're loved. You're redeemed. You're chosen. You're adopted. You are forgiven, and you are mine. When someone confesses their sin to you or me, we have the opportunity to speak Satan's word of condemnation to that person. We can judge them, and we can do our best to make them fully understand how terrible they are. Or we can speak Jesus' words of life. And we can remind them who they are in Christ. We can speak over them promises of God. And we can let the grace, mercy, and forgiveness that our Savior has shown us not terminate on us, but flow through us and onto that person confessing towards us. We can choose our steps in our path. Peyton, my son, asked me yesterday in the truck what I was going to talk about. This summary came to mind. We live life taking steps every day. We can either take a step towards Jesus or towards sin, but no step can be towards both at the same time. Every morning we have the choice to speak and act a little more like Jesus than the day before. Watch each step because the second step sets your direction. What path are you on?
6: thank you hux what a What an incredible time to be working through the book of Proverbs. Um, I don't know how you feel, but I, I really feel like our world is is lacking wisdom and uh it's It's almost as if uh, wisdom has become a superpower and uh, and I just now more than ever I want to be in his word and and living differently and so as I read this verse, um, it's not necessarily my favorite verse, but I'm, I've, I've been working through just what integrity looks like um, as a believer. Um, and so it says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. And I had two big takeaways that I just wanted to share with you, real quick. Um, obviously, you know, we were all taught hey, don't lie, be honest. Um, your word is important, integrity, you know, we've all been taught that. Um, but one of the things that kind of, kind of really rocked me a little bit was just the fact that I came across this, um, that lying is not just a sin. It's the, it's the language of the enemy. And, um, as I think about that. You know, Jesus refers to to Satan as the prince of 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 lies. Um, in John, it talks about he's the father of lies. And so, you know, we've heard the the story of the Garden of Eden where um, he uses deception on Adam and Eve, and and just that is that is who his character is. And so, it just kind of just kind of rocked me a little bit to think about it that way that. You know, it's not just a sin. It's 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 the language of the enemy. Um, my second thing is just the word justify. You know, I often, um, man, can I justify? I just remember growing up. Just you know, it's just a little white lie, or you know, I, it was partially true. You know, we justify things so much. Um, quick story: When I was in college, I would I would work valet, and I I went to college down in West Palm Beach, and Man, some of the wealthiest people down there, and I'm um, parking their cars. And I had a friend of mine that he literally, and he was a good, good guy, but he would literally, every night, we'd be, we'd, we'd be in like 20 to 30 cars a night, and he would literally take change out of the car. And by the end of the night, he had $10, $15 saved up, and he'd go buy dinner. And uh, I remember just really wrestling with this and, and thinking, man, Man, I, I could justify this. And doing the math in my head and thinking, man, I could, it's $150 a month I could save. And I remember asking my friend about it. And he was like, Alan, come on. These people are millionaires. There's there's no way. They're not keeping track of their loose change. He was justifying it. And, man, I was wrestling with that. And, and I just remember God speaking to me and just saying, hey, I'm keeping track of it. It's not your money. And um, just... Just God kind of really saying to me, Your integrity alan is is your gift to me that's how you worship me um, that's uh that's just your gift to me, so that was my my two big takeaways with that verse.
0: I love it men may I encourage you. I know the enemy wants us to, to believe lies, uh, maybe because you've made mistakes as a father, just like I have, and what I want to encourage you with is the only person who can define you is the one who designed you. Um, so remember that as the enemy will try to speak lies over you, um, let God define you. You're not defined by a mistake, etc. So, Johnny.
7: Okay, my my um, proverb is fifteen proverb fifteen fourteen. A wise person is hungry for knowledge, while the fool feeds on trash. So, my big takeaway from this is basically. Um, be careful what you're putting in your in your mind and in your heart um, especially these days with you know social media negativity everywhere um, the elections you know you, you can really get I guess taken in and you of forget who our real father is and get distracted and lose your focus so I kind of um, think of the um, story of where Peter uh, he's walking on water right he's focusing on Jesus But the minute he started to pay attention to the wind, the rain, whatever, he took his eyes off Jesus and what did he do? He sank, right? So it's so easy for us to do that and lose focus, to get distracted. Um, So I just want to share a couple snippets um, and how it has impacted my life. I was a believer not till 2011. So I was in, well, in my 30s. And, you know, I used to crave war movies, you know, R-rated movies, you know, rock music. <laughs> um, not, and now if you look at like, my, my iPad, and, like I don't have any of that stuff on there anymore. And even yesterday I was kind of bored. I was flicking, flipping through uh, Netflix and looking for a movie and there's just garbage out there. So I just decided to turn it off and um, um, just go read. Um, one big thing is, many of you know, I'm a big Michigan football fan okay I'll admit it <laughs> um but it, it early on in our um my life, that's all we knew that's everybody in Michigan, you either like Michigan or Michigan state. It was inbred in us, and our focus every weekend was Michigan football, and it kind of carried over to um my adult life and, and in fact, it's kind of embarrassing, but Chris and I had a not official prenuptial agreement where I could watch Michigan football anytime that it was on. <laughs> it was, we, were, we didn't sign anything contractually, but um, we agreed that that could happen. So, um, you know, I, I went through life, you know, focusing on Michigan football, you know, and it became my idol. Um, I would arrange my weekends. I would arrange events around it. Um, funny, funny story, I didn't arrange this, but even the kids were born on an off week. A bye week <laughs> so, <laughs> so I recognized that it had become my idol, right? So I said, you know, this has got to change. The sports in general became my idol. And um, I just, I thought about it, and this was recently. Um, so I'm still a recovering addict. Um, <laughs> I, I realized, you know, it's, it's it's useless. What does it really matter if my team wins it and other team wins? It really has no bearing on um, kingdom perspective. So I kind of changed that. Um, Another story has to do with uh, road rage. Everybody has that, right? Or at least I do, I admit it. So I used when I grew up in Michigan, nobody really used the horn, but when I moved to Chicago, one hand was on the driving, you know, on the steering wheel and the other hand was on the horn. And you just learned that that's what everyone did. And so that was the environment that I was in. And then when you moved to Florida, I realized nobody uses their horn so, <laughs> so you can get into trouble, you know, using sign language and other <laughs> other things. So, one time I, rem- I remember I did I did it to someone in Chicago, and then that person followed me almost to my home. So I realized, ooh, that was not too smart. So, um, so slowly, you just got to be aware of your environment, protect your heart. Um, that's that's the real thing. Um, use the word as your guide. That's the ultimate guide. Um, and the last thing is, I'll uh, transition to you, Rolf, to but. <laughs> um, so we are, we are the average of the five people you hang out with, right, so protect you know, your, your surroundings, pick your friends wisely. Um, uh, as Proverbs 20, uh, 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, as a friend sharpens a friend.
0: I was wooed for a second, so (laughs) I
8: Well, I'm not quite a freestyler like you two guys, so I have my note and I'm going to read it to you. Thank you, Sid and and church family, for giving me the opportunity to share a few proverbs which came dear to me during my walk with our Lord. Jesus moved in our home through my wife of noble character, as it says in chapter 31, verse 25 to 27, she is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instruction with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household, and she suffers nothing from laziness. Through her encouragement, I signed up for my first man's retreat here at Heritage seven years ago, where I met a lot of great God-fearing men, and they were willing to share their faith and their struggles. Two in particular were Michael Brooks and Steve Whitaker. That was the start of becoming a living example from what it says in chapter 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I experienced how important it was to have brothers in a small group setting around you to rub elbows with and share life together. From that point on, God's word started transforming me. And I could probably quote half of these verses that became either a witness of or I I were convicted from. However, one thing I'm very grateful to our Lord that this transformation happened while our children were still in our care. Through his grace, he allowed us to change the course of our parenting. And I learned, and still learning, what it means to discipline my children in love. This is why the verse 18 in chapter 19 has so much meaning to me. Discipline your children while there is hope, otherwise you will ruin their lives. This is serious business. It is not that I never disciplined my children before, but it was not out of love. It was mostly out of frustration and anger. So my heart goes out to all your fathers, and I'd like to encourage you. The time with your children is limited, and it ticks away fast. Be intentional with them. Do not become just your best buddy. They need a strong, leading, and godly Father. Stay in the Word. Learn it, so you know it, and be able to use it. The enemy is out there just waiting to snatch them into the claws of culture. Teach them, lead them, and discipline them.
9: Good morning, my name is Adam Westgate. Um, I typically don't find myself up on the stage, but here I am. So the verse that I picked out was Proverbs nineteen twenty one, and it reads as this, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And when I was asked to speak up here, uh, I started flipping through my Bible, and I was wondering, man, what, is, what does God want me to speak on? This is kind of awkward. I, like I said, I'm typically not up here. And I came across this verse underlined in my Bible, and I remembered how much of a testament it is to my life and how much it's become my testimony. Uh, Several years ago, I was presented with the opportunity to go to Alaska and it was in the midst of COVID. And I thought, man, there's there's no way. (laughs) Everything's shutting down. It's, It's not gonna happen. I just accepted a job two weeks earlier, but I began to think and I began to pray about that opportunity. And I said, God, if this is what you want, you can make anything happen, so make it happen. And within the course of a week from hearing about Alaska, I was there in Alaska. I was at that small camp, and God showed me many, many great things. And that was an example of God doing something great and wonderful in my life, and his purpose standing. But sometimes his purpose looks a little bit different. Sometimes it isn't as sweet and as great as going up to Alaska Sometimes it looks like him removing something in your life that you've held on to very strongly. That one thing was fire college for me. see, leaving, fire, leaving high school, my heart was set out to be a fireman. That was my deep desire. That's what I, my whole life had become wrapped around. It wasn't just about saving lives. It was the title. It was the title of being a fireman and the way people reacted to that. And I became in awe with that. And so I trained and trained and trained to become a fireman. I went to the hardest fire school that there was that I knew of in the state of Florida. And I went out after it. I thought, man, this is going to be great. This is going to be something that God can use. But I didn't really fully put that idea into God's plans. I didn't say, God, do what you will with it. And so to my great surprise, I failed out. I didn't even get in. After training for almost eight months, I failed out on the first test to get in. I was like, "God, what, what are you doing? This was supposed to be something great. This was supposed to be something that I was gonna do." And I was—I sat at home for a, about a week, just wondering, "Man, what, what's going on? That this, this isn't supposed to be how my life's supposed to go. I'm, I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. I'm supposed to be the one who has it planned out." And I, I came back to this verse. It's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. When I was going over this verse, though, I realized something. See, in Proverbs chapter 16, it says that the Lord will establish the man's steps. But here it says it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And that per- the word purpose creates a new sense of meaning. See, it's not just the Lord establishing the steps. It's the Lord creating the purpose behind why he establishes those steps. And so it creates a new meaning to life when things are removed. When he changes things around, it's no longer him just establishing a step, but there's a reason behind that step and why he allowed you to take that step. It's his purpose and why I'm standing up, sitting up here in front of you. Had I gone through with fire calls, I don't know as I'd be here. I definitely wouldn't have been an intern, and I wouldn't be considering going back to college, which I am now. So praise him for all the things that he's done and all the things that he's removed.
0: So far, they've done a great job of not running over time, Jeff. Well, they have, they
10: have. I think he needs to be on stage more often. Too. <laughs> Mine's going to be short and sweet. I'll make up for Johnny and him going over. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, My verse was uh, Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Um, it's Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. So my wife has a saying, uh, this is not our home. Uh, She says it quite often, she's a very wise woman. Uh, But it reminds me, um, and often uh, we get lost sometimes doing things, focusing too much on the short time that we have on this earth. So, uh, and that's whether it's seeking wealth or just trying to make a name for yourself. So hearing life is short when you're young or younger, it doesn't really have much teeth, it doesn't have much teeth until something happens, whether it's a terminal diagnosis in your family, whether it's uh, medical issues you're going through or even loss of a loved one. Um, but uh, we amass knowledge. Um, we amass a lot, a lot of knowledge over the, the lifespan, uh, being in the Word, but reading through the book like Proverbs, however, is uh, it's useless if we don't put it to work. So this verse is a good reminder that uh, don't invest in things that will be gone for an instant. Seek God first in everything. Trust Him uh, that He'll provide for your needs. Uh, love on people. Invest time in your family, your children, and then living a legacy of faith. so
0: One of the biggest things that we can encourage you with church as we're going through the book of Proverbs this summer is I'll never forget a pastor once said he said information plus application equals transformation. And I think what we could do as a church, is we could read a proverb each and every day and, like, man, that was really a mic drop statement that Solomon had, right? But one of the things I want us to encourage us with is for us to actually apply those proverbs. You know, there could be one that stuck out to you that day that we can apply so that I can begin to transform our lives. But can you give these men a round of applause? Can you do that? And as they're making their way back to their seats, um, I'm going to hand it off to the one who can wrap it up better than I can, and I'm going to get off the stage. So there you go, Sid.
11: What a blessing, huh? Five guys sharing what God's teaching them as we're walking through the book of Proverbs. And, you know, the challenge for us is that, uh, is that we, would, we would continue this journey, seeking after the Lord, seeking the nuggets that are there, and not, as Mike said, not just hear them, not just read them, but seek to apply them to our life. There's, there's two paths. If you, you notice that as you're walking through the path of the wicked, the path of the Righteous? the path of wisdom, the path of folly. There's two paths and every one of us have to make a choice about which direction, what, uh, what direction we're going to choose, what life we're going to choose. And, um, and with that life, with those choices come the consequences or the blessings or the curses. But there's a choice that we all have to make and our desire is that on this Father's Day, that this would be a church where our men take very much consideration the path that they're walking in, and seek to walk with the Lord in a path of righteousness. Amen. Um, what I want us to do, uh, it being Father's Day, in just a minute, I want to, we're going to do something special with our men, all men, regardless of age. I want to ask you to do something in just a minute. But uh, right now, I'm going to to ask. Caleb is going to sing for us. And uh, and during during the song, uh, maybe there's an issue that you're wrestling with. Maybe there's something that you would like to come to this altar and pray. We're going to open up the altar today. It's always open. Maybe you're here, not just a man. Maybe you're a woman. And maybe you've never made a decision to trust Jesus Christ. Is your personal Lord and Savior. There's no greater posture than this. No greater posture than this. Yet, how many of us hold on to life this way instead of this way? And so today, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, today might be that opportunity that you come and you say, I want to give my life to Christ. We want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you're here as a man and there's... Or a woman, and maybe there's issues you need to come to this altar and pray. We want to give you that time. I want to ask, and this is this is maybe difficult, but for those those five men that were just standing here, I'd love for you to come and stand because there may be somebody that would love to come and pray, or just just ask if you would if you would pray with me about something. And I want to give our people an opportunity to come to you. So if, if you are up on stage, and also if we have overseers and trustees, you're welcome to come at this time too to stand. But this is what's called an invitation. It's an invite for you to respond. And in an invitation, it is, you know, Jesus, I want to, to be on this path, the path of righteousness, the path of wisdom uh, in my life, not this path, this other path over here of folly of and foolishness. Um, but for you, it's just an opportunity to listen, to be able to respond as you feel the need this morning. And then after this time of invitation then I will come back and I will close this out with something that's special would you stand and would you sing along with Caleb this morning
12: how deep the father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretched treasure How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns his face away As wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory. Accomplish his dying breath has brought me life i know that it is finished i will not boast in anything no gifts no power no wisdom But I will boast in Jesus Christ His death and resurrection Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer But this I know with all my heart
11: Would you be seated at this time? There, there are people still praying and, and coming, and welcome to do that. I'm going to ask as the lights come up. If you are a man here this morning, male, um, young man, boy, man, husband, father, child, I'm going to ask you again if you would stand just for a moment. I had shared with the earlier service that reality is this, there are some of you that don't know what a good father is. Some of you came maybe from broken homes. Maybe you came from a a family where a father has broken trust. Maybe they weren't seeking after the things of the Lord. And as a result, your understanding of what a good father is about has been tainted by what you've seen. I didn't grow up that way. I had a good father who was faithful. He was honest, who loved the Lord, who set a good example. He was a patient man. He was a kind man. He was a man who loved his family. He was a man who was courageous. And because of that, I had that example follow. Gentlemen, there's a lot on our shoulders. Why do we expect so much of others when we ourselves aren't willing to give it? Don't ever tell me that your life, the choices that you make, don't have an impact on the next generation. Don't believe that lie, because it does. You're a man of impact. You're a man of influence. You have the ability to be able to have an incredible influence in the lives, not only your children, but those around you. And so this morning with you standing, I want you to feel the weight on your shoulders today. I want you to feel the weight and I want you to feel the, um, the enormous responsibility that we have. I didn't say that you're perfect men by any means, but I want you to be God's man. I want you to be God's man, and I want us to be men that are seeking after the things of the Lord. Today, as we get ready to close out our time, I thought it would be neat if, uh, if our women would pray over us. I'm gonna ask if Sheila would come at this time, and I'm gonna ask her to pray over our men. Um, today I'm going to ask her to pray over men and women while she prays I'm going to ask you if you are close to a man if you're in that vicinity maybe the Lord brings specifically somebody to mind Sheila you can stand right there here we go Um, our men need prayer amen our women need prayer but today's Father's Day so we're focused on fathers but our men need prayer and today, our prayer is that we would take the rightful position that we have in leadership and understand the responsibility we have, to which path we choose, and the importance of that path. Sheila, I'm going to ask this morning if you would pray over us. And then after that, I just want to close with another word or two as we get ready to leave.
13: I'm always so humble when I get the opportunity to pray. But, you know, I think one of the greatest privileges that God has given us as women, is to be able to be our spouse's helpmates and to be able to pray for them. So as I'm praying, will you be praying in your heart for the men in your life, whether it be your sons or whether it be your son-in-laws or whether it be your husbands or your fathers, whoever it might be, because that's something that we can do that will change eternity for so many people. Heavenly Father, we just come to you with praise and thanksgiving. Father God, I am so thankful that even though I had an absentee, Father, you were always my Father. And you're always there, never busy. You always have a listening ear. And Father God, I come to you this morning because I'm an older lady here now. And many of these men could be my sons. And I'm coming with a mother's heart for so many of them. and I know that it's your Father's heart. So I pray today, Father God, for the men that are standing, those that are not here. I pray, Father God, for their hearts, that they would guard their hearts, that they would keep their hearts away from the things that are not of you, that they would have a kingdom perspective in everything that they do, and that all their choices, would be according to building your kingdom within their home and here on earth father i pray for their eyes that their eyes would look at the things that you would have them to do but most of all that they would set their eyes on jesus the Author and finisher of their faith and father god i pray for their ears that they would what they hear father would be edifying to you and that those listening ears would be ears father god that would hear from you and would be able to hear others as they need you. I pray for their mouths, Father God, that those mouths would um, always show honor and respect to you, and that it would always be able to take the gospel to other people, Father God, and that their feet, uh, as we think of the armor of God, Father God, that it would be completely covered with the gospel that that would be the essence of their life, Father God, is that they would live in awe and wonder and thanksgiving and praise, Father God, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for them and that they are willing to live as a sacrifice to you, as an honor to you, to be able to be the men that you've called them to be and that it would bring all glory and honor to you. Father God, help us all today on this Father's Day to celebrate the Father that has never failed us, the Father that has never forsaken us, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
11: Amen. Men, if you'd be seated for one second, just a reminder as we talked last week, um, if you're not reading along. In the book of Proverbs, I would challenge you to start with us today. You don't have to go back and try to catch up. We're going to pick that up a little bit later on, but we're in chapter 18 today. Today's June the 18th, and we're in chapter 18. If you're not reading along, I would encourage you to read along in Proverbs. Read a chapter a day. Pick out a nugget of truth that you feel like God is speaking specifically to you. Um, Feel free. I love the fact that there are so many of you, and I'm so proud of you, For so many of you that are posting, not just your pictures on social media, or your thoughts or your feelings or opinions, you're posting God's Word on social media. And the Bible tells me that God's Word never returns void. Amen? And so listen, if you're not participating, I'd love to challenge you to be a part of that and continue doing exactly what you're doing as you're reading through the book of Proverbs and searching for those nuggets of truth as we seek to learn. The second thing that I want to say too is eyes up. Remember, eyes up, not eyes on me, not eyes on anyone else except for Jesus himself. And uh, what an incredible opportunity we have as you walk out these doors today uh, for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, for us to be able to be the ambassadors. For you men that spoke today, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. That won't be the last time that happens. This isn't church as usual. So much wisdom flows from you guys, and and I, I think about the, the 10 guys that have participated today, but also notice that there are many other men that could stand here and speak and speak truth, and I'm very thankful for that. Father, as we walk out these doors, would you remind us to hold strong to that which we know is true, to be in your word, to be students of the word, to digest those morsels, those nuggets. And Father, give us the courage to be able to live as you've called us to live. Help us to not live in the past or in the path of of sin and folly, but for Father, to choose life, to choose righteousness. Father, the way of wisdom, because in that there is blessings. Father, there's encouragement. As we walk out these doors, there are gonna be opportunities for us to embrace people that are in many different situations and circumstances of life. And Father, help us point them to Jesus not by just what we say, but may they see it in how we live. And as a result, come to us because they desire to know why is our life so different? Because life is different in Christ. It's different. Thank you for the privilege of listening to your word today and for these that have participated, for the music that has been so encouraging, for the baptisms that has just been a visual picture of life change. Father, help us to be a light to this world that is living in darkness. Help us to be the church, the body, that you've called us to be in this community. Help us to bring hope to those who have to have no hope. What a blessing it is to be your child. And today for fathers, we celebrate you in Jesus' name.